Greetings and salutations, everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. I'm very excited for another information-filled episode of this hideous podcast. Now, for those of you who have been listening, I'm I'm very happy to announce that I am 100% over my cold. I am no longer sick. I I uh, the cough finally went away, so I should be able to blab into this microphone without having to pause my recording to let out a cough or 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 vomit or anything like that. Well, I wasn't vomiting. I'm just kidding, but. I no longer am coughing, so it's just a great thing. You know, it was like every time I went to the club to go practice, I'd, I'd be coughing a little bit. I'd have to give a disclaimer to everybody saying, hey, look, I'm not, I'm not contagious. I just have this lingering cough that I've had for two months, but thank God it went away. That just was so frustrating. I, I ended up uh, taking some Claritin basically for a week, and it finally cleared things up. I don't know why. Uh, I don't really know why that helped because I don't typically have allergies, but I went to the doctor and, and that's what he suggested that I do. So that's what I did. So on this episode of the Judo Chop Sui podcast, I'm going to talk a little bit about the results of not only the the Paris Grand Slam, but but also the, uh, the Dusseldorf Grand Slam. There's just two events back to back. I was hoping to get an episode out after the Paris Grand Slam, but it just was not possible for me with the timing of everything going on in my life. Uh, and by everything, that means a complete rehab of uh, my rental home that I need to get done. So I've been super busy with that, doing a lot of painting, painting the in- entire house. And let me tell you, painting is man's work. That is hard, hard work. And I've I've painted rooms before, don't get me wrong, but when you're pressed for time like I am, because I got to get another tenant into that house, but when you're pressed for time and you got to get work done and you got to get a good work done, it's, boy, is that hard. That is just physical labor. And if I wasn't in as good a shape as I was, it'd be kicking my butt. Over this past weekend, I think between uh, taping and 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 priming the walls and putting two coats of paint. It took me about 16 hours just for one bedroom and a bathroom. I mean, granted, that master bedroom's kind of big, but still. And plus with those vaulted ceilings. Let me tell you, I will never, ever buy another single-level home with vaulted ceilings. What a stupid idea. Ugh. Do you know, I mean, do you know how hard it is for me to climb up a ladder and then put the paintbrush into, into a wrench and then hold that wrench because my ladder's not tall enough. And I'm not going to spend like, you know, $225 uh, to buy a ladder just to paint the house. So I, I don't know. I'm just, you know, I probably should have saved all of that for, for my uh, after party segment. But uh, I managed to get it out here. But I'm going to continue on with judo related things. So like I was saying, I'm going to cover the Paris Grand Slam and a Dusseldorf Grand Slam. Slam, excuse me. I also want to talk a little bit about an upcoming event that is a staple of American judo called the uh, the New York Open. I'm sure most of you are familiar with what that is. I also want to talk about uh, some changes uh, by the USJA. They, they're very positive changes that were shared with me just a couple of weeks ago. And I figure I, I know some of you out there are members of the USJA. At least uh, half of my audience is is from the United States, so... So you guys, uh, if for you, for those of you who are USJA members, uh, there's some pretty good information that I'm I'm going to share on this episode. 
And let's see, what else am I going to share? There's probably a couple of things that's just slipping my mind that I'm sure that I'll get to as I get this thing rolling. But first off, I want to talk about a new partnership that I have that's specific to this podcast. So this is specifically podcast-related news. Now, I have joined this uh, a podcast network called Age of Radio, and I'm probably going to uh, write up an announcement on my Facebook page and share this on Instagram as well and on Twitter. But basically, uh, Age of Radio is a podcasting network that will allow me to earn just a little bit of money um, for this podcast, depending on the advertisers and, and, and how much interaction and, and, and feedback and impressions that this podcast gets. So what that means for you guys is that you may hear advertisements throughout this podcast. I'm going to be implementing a, a slot for the pre-roll and, and the mid-roll and, and, and the post. Uh, there should be a post-roll. I don't know if they call it a post-roll. But basically, uh, there may be two or three advertisement spots in this podcast. I'm going to try my best to generate a smoother transition for for the um you know, for the halfway point, halfway credits for the podcast. So I'll 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 record this. I'll try and and mark the the, the, the podcast spot. It's, it's going to be new for me. So so if my if all of a sudden you know you're, I'm I'm in the middle of a thought and it cuts out to a commercial, it's because I'm still trying to figure out the um how to best transition into a a, a mid roll advertisement. So this gets this potentially um means for me that I might make a little bit of money off the podcast, which is great. I don't do this for the money, but if I can get uh, enough money a month to buy myself a cheeseburger every once in a while, I think that'd be fantastic. So as of this episode, I am going to trans be transitioning the podcast to Age of Radio Network. For those of you that listen on, on Podbean, I'm going to still upload the episodes on Podbean up until maybe late April or the or the or the episodes that I do in May. Now for you regular listeners that listen on different uh you know podcasting related related apps, I don't think there's anything you need to do right now. You don't you won't need to to update your feeds because currently the feeds will redirect, but if there's some kind of just letting you guys know right now, if there's some kind of snafu in 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 May or or especially June because I'm not going to renew uh, what I pay for Podbean. So if there's some kind of snafu with you getting the episodes on the podcast, then you will have to, you can feel free to reach out to me at judochopsuishow at gmail.com or reach out to me on Facebook. And I, you know, I can let you know what the, what the redirect or what the new uh, RSS feed is. But, um, well, you know, what I might do is I'll just put it out there on my Facebook now. And that way it'll be out there for public consumption, whatever the case may be. But if you have any issues way down the road, um, it'll be because of the RSS feeds and, and something like that. Because right now it redirects, but there'll be a point where it won't redirect. Anyway, so yeah, Asia Radio, very excited to be part of that. And they have a great lineup of of, of podcasts that are, that are already associated with the network. So it's all good. I, I'm, I'm very excited about it. I'm I, uh, very grateful for that opportunity. I want to take a moment to talk about an upcoming judo tournament that's on my radar. And it's not the Dusseldorf Grand Slam or the Ekaterinburg Grand Slam. Not even the Rabat Grand Prix, which is a new Grand Prix happening on March 6th through the 8th. 
I am talking about the New York Open. Now, the New York Open is one of those events that I have talked about briefly in the past, usually when it rolls around. I, I certainly acknowledge it because it's one of the premier judo tournaments in the country and probably one of the most premier uh, judo competitions on this side of the world, apart from, well, the new Montreal Grand Prix and the Brazilian Grand Slam. And I don't, I don't even know if those events are going to be happening in 2020. In fact, I know that the, uh, the Montreal Grand Prix is not happening this year. I, I don't know why, but it's not on the calendar. But the Brasilia Grand Slam is. So irregardless of that, the New York Open is happening on Saturday, March 21st at the New York Athletic Club in New York City. Now, this is not one of those um, you know, run-of-the-mill local tournaments. This is, a, this is a tournament that's been going on really for decades. And it's going to feature... Uh, international athletes from a variety of countries, um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, athletes representing Germany, Poland, Brazil, Great Britain, Israel, and Georgia are going to be competing at the New York Open along with the uh, Team USA. Now, in the past, I know that, you know, for example, the Israeli team has sent uh, some of their premier stars like like uh, Tal Flicker and, and Sagi Muki to compete at this event. Uh, however, this year, it's probably not go- of those countries that are, are going to the event. It's probably going to be their, well, for lack of a better term, maybe their B team because most of the their, their top competitors are preparing for the Olympics. And going to New York City is probably going to be outside of their wheelhouse for, for tournament preparation. That's, that's a long flight for just about everybody else um, except maybe for Canada and maybe Great Britain. But, but, but now speaking of Canada... Actually, you know what? I'm going to run down Team USA and, and, and who's going to be representing Team USA at the at the New York Open. So, I, now it's my understanding that they kind of mix up the teams this year, and they and they can invite people from other countries, and that's kind of where I'm going with this. So, Alex Turner under 73 kilos, Colton Brown under 90 kilos, Nate Keefe uh, under 100 kilos, Angelica Delgado uh, in the under 52 kilos, Caitlin Jarrell. Under two, under fifty-two kilos as well. Uh, Skylar Hattendorf representing under fifty-three kilos, and Kalita Supanchik uh, under seventy-eight kilos. Now that's kind of the the wild card here because Kalita re- represents Team Canada, uh, but she's going to be fighting for Team USA this year. And the head coaches for Team USA this year is going to be Travis Stevens and Hannah Carmichael. So everybody representing Team USA has IJF. Uh, you know, high level experience, especially Kalita, because she's um, she's actually had a pretty good uh, past couple of years on the IJF World Tour, and in the Olympics, she ended up uh, it, it, with a seventh place finish, which is nothing to sneeze at. Now, if I didn't say it already, which I'm not sure if I did, um, I'm going to be in attendance for this thing. I got invited uh, to be a VIP, which I was very honored about, and because I got enough advance notice, I'm going to go. I, I was. Uh, I was very honored by the invite from Travis Stevens and the tournament director, John Walla. I've been conversing with him uh, via phone and, and text messages. He sent me some great materials on some former uh, New York Open uh, team judo tournaments. And the thing is, it's this event, it's not, like I said, it's not like your local event. I mean, they, they really pull out all the stops for this. And I'm, I'm really excited to be there. So this is definitely going to be the highest level of judo that I'll have ever watched at at a live event and the way the the New York Open does things the teams that are being represented here the countries that are being represented they 
they don't stick to the traditional IJF white and blue judogi. You're going to see a lot of uh, different uniforms there, and it's going to be very mixed. Team USA typically wears a blue top with red pants. And other countries may wear, I, I don't know, a, a white top with black pants or or who knows, maybe a red top with white pants. It's, it's, I, I don't know what teams are going to be wearing what, but I know typically that Team USA wears the blue top and the red pants. And, and sure, that probably will stick in some people's craws that are traditionalist. But I'm okay with it because it brings a little a little fashion to the event, wouldn't you say? Hell, what do I know? I, I know, I know nothing about fashion, especially... Uh, fashion within judo or brazilian jiu-jitsu so now if any of you are in new york city that weekend or or happen to live in new york city and listen to this podcast be aware that you can buy tickets for this event it's 25 dollars in advance for a regular ticket and that includes one complimentary beer for those who are 21 years or older i think that's really cool and there's also a vip section uh which uh if you buy in advance it's 70 dollars a ticket and you could sit within uh, with its preferred seating, the first uh, first five rows, and continuous complimentary beer. Now, for the VIP ticket at the door, the day of the event, it's going to be $95. And, and at the door for the regular ticket, it's going to be $30. And as an added bonus, if you buy a VIP ticket, you might be able to sit with me and watch some judo and, and kick back with, uh, with some beers. I think that sounds pretty good. Actually, that's probably... Uh, <laughs> That's probably not a selling point, right? So how about this? If you get a VIP ticket, you will be sitting as far away from me as possible, right? And I personally guarantee I won't be anywhere near your line of sight to the uh, to the action happening on the mats. Actually, I can't guarantee any of that. But I can guarantee that I'm going to be there come hell or high water. Hopefully neither happens. So yeah, New York Open, uh, Saturday, uh, March 21st. I will be there. And I'm going to be kicking back in New York City as well. I'm getting there early on a Friday. And I'm going to uh, see some of the sites that I didn't get to see back in, in it, when I was there in December. I'm going to visit some family, a cousin of mine, my, my great aunt, who's like 97 years old. And of course, I'm going to Lazarus, which is the best pizza place on planet Earth. And then on Sunday, some of my friends from, from Massachusetts are supposed to drive down and hang out with me for the day. But that, that has not yet been confirmed, and I'm trying to get a confirmation on that because Sunday I'm probably going to fart around in the city again and much to the chagrin of my wife who will not be coming with me this time around. Maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll visit the Guggenheim or the Museum of Natural History. I've never been to the Guggenheim, but the uh, Museum of Natural History, I haven't been there in like over 20 years. So I'll check out some of the sites. I'm really looking forward to the trip. I love the city. I just hope it doesn't rain because, man, New York City is like, the worst rainy city in America. All right, moving along. The USJA, the United States Judo Association, has made a recent uh, change and or allowance uh, with regards to promotion points. Now, I got this bit of information uh, probably a couple of, of weeks ago, uh, but but I wanted to share it with you all because I think it's really important for well, I know for my American listeners, and listen, you know, I really do try to make this podcast not just about judo in the United States. I really try, and I am fully aware that this is this is heard all over the world, but I, look, I live in the United States, and sometimes I get bits of information that are more pertinent to listeners of a certain demographic, and hey, listen, if you got something, a bit of news that you think people in, in the UK or Australia or Canada may want to know, Feel free to shoot it over because I'll definitely talk about it. 
So I received a Facebook message from Brian Mooney, who is the head sensei of Riverside Judo Club in Riverside, California. That's where the uh, JudoCon was held back in November. So I've been to that club. It's a very nice club. It's a very nice area. And Brian's a great guy. So I get this message and it links to a, a Riverside Judo Club message stating, uh, we were just approved to f to allow USJA promotion points for special needs judo certifications. The designated special needs levels and points are attached to this post. So this was a Facebook post. Um, we still have room for our, our, our upcoming level one special needs judo coaching course coming up on Saturday, March 21st, 2020. Um, I will be in New York City that day. Uh, the clinic cost is $45 for the day. Uh, lunch is paid for. All tuition will go help pay for the 2020 U.S. Special Needs Judo Championships, which will be a free event. This is still very new to U.S. Judo, so we are proceeding cautiously. There is an eager population out there who love judo and just need an opportunity. Please be patient as we work on adding more courses and reach out to other regions. We hope to build our Level 1 uh, Special Needs Coach Base before offering Level 2, which is already put together. So now after rereading this, it's it's apparent that this is just specific to if you are if you attend these this coaching certification uh, clinic, you you will get promotion points for this. But I believe that at some point this will expand because I did I did take part in that course and I did receive a certification back with in uh, for JudoCon. And they do a tremendous job with special needs students there. It's it's really a wonderful thing that they do. And to be able to expand in that demographic, especially with special needs kids who could probably, who really can benefit from the, the, the motor skills and such that one learns while doing judo and, and the accomplishment involved and the skills learned and, 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 and the relationships formed. I, I think it's a really special thing. And I think it's good to see the USJA expand into this territory of sorts. Now, you know, I'm not aware of any other uh, judo organization in the United States. And, and for that matter, I'm not, I've not heard of any other judo organization around the world uh, that does something like this. So this is just uh, really wonderful of you, Brian, if you're listening, which you're probably not. But somebody that knows Brian will let him know that I talked about it, so... Again, thank you for sharing this with me so I can share it with all of you, the listeners. I'll, uh, I'll share this, this post on my uh, podcast Facebook page. And I'm really trying to, to get this episode out by, by the first week of March. That way, you guys, if anybody's interested, you'll have plenty of time to sign up for this. The Paris Grand Slam. This was a tremendous event, and I'm going to get into the results of this event Obviously, I'm going to cover what I think was the biggest story of the event, and I'm going to start with that right now. Teddy Renner finally lost the match after like 153 straight wins over the past 10 plus years, and he lost against Kageura of Japan in the third round to what I'm going to call Uchimata Sukiyashi. So basically, Renner went in for his Uchimata, and he and uh, Kageura had really just stepped out of the way and countered it and threw him on his back for a Wazari, and that was it. Round three, bounce out. Teddy Renner, done. See you later. Bye. So, yeah, I think that was probably one of the biggest stories of the event, if not the biggest story. But I'm going to sit here and tell you right now that this is not a big deal. 
And I'm glad that Teddy Renner lost. And I'm not glad that, that he lost because I have something against him. I really think that he needed this loss. And, and I, I, I'll explain why. That streak, to me, had just become one more thing that Teddy Renner had to think about and worry about. It, it The streak had morphed into something that was just so almost ridiculous, almost comical, almost like just cartoonish in a way. It's like it it just became the story of any time he stepped on the mat. It became a it, it was the story of the of the tournament. It was the story of the plus one hundred kilo division. Doesn't matter what happened. As Teddy Renner's on the mat, his undefeated streak is the story. Now it's no longer a story, and I I honestly think it's the best thing that happened to him. I would have to think that in a way the pressure is off Teddy Renner to defend that that just obscene streak. Now he's just like every other athlete on the tour with a loss. And you know what? Losing to uh, Kageura in uh, uh, of Japan, it doesn't affect his legacy one bit. He is still the greatest competitor com- competitor in judo history. Now I know some of the traditionalists out there would say Yamashita and such, but I'm talking in terms of Olympic medals, in terms of world championships, in terms of everything that you can measure an athlete's success by. Teddy Renner is the greatest of all time. He just is. Whether whether one wants to argue if he's the most skilled, I can listen to that argument, but I don't really think it's a, I don't think it's really relevant. I'm not sure if Teddy can, uh, if if Teddy Renner was a you know, an 81, under 81 kilo fighter, I, I highly doubt the streak would have ever happened. But it doesn't matter. That's just speculation. He never asked one day in his life to be six foot eight, but that's how he ended up. So in that division, in, in the history of that division, he's the greatest. And, and nobody's been able to beat him and I, and uh, until uh, this past tournament, and that's okay. Now, I would think the only area of concern for him is, I, I, I don't know, with that long layoff, does it, does it affect his ability to 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 make it onto the Olympic team? I'm not quite sure. I, maybe will he will he get an exception? Does the Olympics do that? Because you know, right now he's ranked number thirty. He's ranked thirtieth in the plus one hundred kilo division. And I don't know how many how many Olympic qualifying points he has. But if he doesn't have enough, he's going to have to compete for the rest of the year if he expects to to uh, be representing France in the Tokyo Olympics. So we'll see how the rest of the uh, the rest of the IJF World Tour season goes leading up to the Olympics. Now, as it stands right now, Teddy is not slated to compete at the Dusseldorf Grand Slam, which is as of this recording is going to be happening in about five days. So maybe one of you listeners out there that that are far more familiar about this process than I am uh, can enlighten me because I right now, as I understood it, you got to be. In the top twenty of your division to be to compete in the Olympics, and right now Teddy Renner is at thirty. No, he's number thirty. So unless he's got other Olympic qualifying points, only the top twenty or so in that division are going to make it to the Olympics. I mean that that's what I thought how it how it happens because I I know the the Olympics themselves in terms of number of participants it's far lower than what you typically see at a Grand Slam. There there might be. You know, under 400 competitors at the Olympics were were at the, you know, for the Dusseldorf Grand Slam, for example, there's going to be well over 700. So, yeah, so getting back to Teddy, I think the loss is good for him. I just don't think continued losing will be good for him. Now, continuing on with the 
results of the plus 100 kilo division. Kageura ended up getting silver, losing to Hank Grohl, and he lost to a beautiful Koichigari. Now, I got to say, after watching this match, it appeared to me that Teddy Renner is definitely a lot slower than uh, some of his peers in, in this division. It's probably likely due to the low, uh, due, to the long layoff. But, you know, Hank Kroll is, is still four years older than him. And, and to me, anyway, he looked a little sharper. And right now, Hank Kroll of the Netherlands is currently ranked uh, number six in the plus 100 kilo division. So he takes gold. Uh, Kageura takes silver. And the bronze medal winners were Inal Tasoev of Russia and Andy Granda of Cuba. Now, before I get to the under 60 kilo division, I just wanted to say, just as a reminder to the listeners out there, that the Paris Grand Slam is, to me, uh, one of the premier judo events in the world. Uh, and, and I mean that in terms of who shows up. And the stars definitely show up for this one. Uh, and, and that's including Ryuji Nagayama of Japan, who took first place. Uh, who, who earned the gold medal uh, against Yago uh, Abuzalde of Russia? Now I don't know if I don't know if the score that uh, Nagayama earned against uh, Abuzalde was worthy of any pawn, but I'm getting really sick and tired of seeing athletes land on their heads to avoid throws and and. Uh, Nagayama got the Ipon, but I think if he was if there wasn't going to be a score there, then then Abu Zalde should be penalized with the with a Hansokumaki in these instances because you cannot continue to use your head to avoid throws. That that should be an automatic Hansokumaki every single time, and I don't like seeing it. And I see it, you know, maybe that's part of the reason why I'm not a big fan of the under sixty kilo division because I see guys do all of these weird things that are really. really that really are not very safe. And I've said it before and I'll say it again that you do not want judo to appear in front page news around the world for all the wrong reasons. And the last thing judo needs is a guy on the world tour getting a broken neck because of uh, because of stupid actions like that. Now speaking of which, I just saw this I saw this horrible video a couple of weeks ago. Now uh, I'm sorry, a couple of days ago of this guy Attempting a flying R bar in a no gi competition, and he landed right on his neck, and and it was really a gruesome sound, and and uh, he certainly was paralyzed in that moment. I don't know what that what the health status of that athlete is, but that kind of stuff you you cannot you can that that cannot happen in judo. So Abu Ladze gets the silver, the bronze medal winners um, goes to Dashtava of Mongolia and uh, Yeldo Smetov of Kazakhstan. Now, in the under-66 kilo division, it was great to see a familiar face. An Bao of South Korea uh, took gold, defeating uh, Lim Hwan Kim of South Korea as well, a teammate of his. Now, for those who may not remember, An Bao had uh, gotten trouble with his government, basically. He, he decided to skip out on what I believe to be mandatory volunteer hours or something like that. Uh, I, I guess the government tells South Koreans, basically the, the South Koreans are voluntold to s- do community service hours or something like that. So An Bao decided to skip that in favor of going to a judo tournament. He got caught. He tried to lie about it and he got suspended by his team and he had to make up those hours. Uh, thankfully, it was in it was in South Korea because in North Korea, he'd probably be into some court, kind of uh, 
forced labor camp or something terrible like that. But South Korea, he just had to pay his dues. So he'd been off the world tour for a while. And he, he comes back making a strong statement here, uh, letting the rest of the field know that, that he's he's somebody to be reckoned with in this in this division. So Bao gets gold. Uh, Lim Wan Kim gets silver. The bronze medals go to Georgi Santaraya of the Ukraine. And, uh, oh, this is going to be tough for me. Yondon Perenli of, of Mongolia. That was his last name. I'm not going to attempt his first name. Bashku. I guess that's right. That's easy enough. In the under-73 kilo division, Soichi Hashimoto defeated uh, Smogulov of Kazakhstan. And Hashimoto ended up winning with Shavi Waza followed with a Kiai. That was, I guess that was enough to get a Wazar. So, some of the scores in this tournament of the matches I saw, I did not like. And I think this was one of them. It was enough to get a gold medal. And you, you don't... I would have rather seen this match go into golden score and Hashimoto or, or Smoglov find a way to win with a better technique than that. I'm a little surprised that Smoglov even went the distance with Hashimoto in this and that Hashimoto didn't even win with an Ippon. But hey, it's a gold medal and I'm sure he'll take it. Especially since he's competing with Shohei Ono to represent Japan in the Olympics. Which, actually, now that I think of it, that's probably not going to be an issue. See, I don't remember. Do, do, the, do the teams that host the Olympics get to send more than one athlete in, in each division? I mean, I know in the World Tour, the, the, the host country gets to stack their divisions with, with um, their world team members. But I don't know if it's the same for the Olympics. I would venture to guess no. Since Maruyama and Hufumi Abe are competing for that top spot in the under 66 kilo division. I don't know. Maybe one of you guys can confirm that with me. Anyway, moving along. So one of the bronze medals goes to Turayev of Uzbekistan. And the other bronze medal goes to Send Ochir of Mongolia. So you know what? Before I continue with the rest of the results of the Paris Grand Slam, I'm going to move quickly through them. I decided to pause what I was saying. And really try and find out what the criteria is for Olympic qualification. I decided to do some digging in the middle of my thoughts about the Paris Grand Slam because I thought I think it's fair for all of you to know what the exact process is. So I decided to go on to the International Judo Federation website, kind of dig through some of their articles, and I came across something. And oddly enough, as of this recording, this article came out one year ago today. So uh, the, the headline, it's called Qualification System Games of the uh, 32nd Olympia, 20, Tokyo 2020. For all judo athletes of the World Judo Tour, the road to Tokyo started in Hohat in 2018, which I knew that. On the occasion of the Grand Prix held in China, you will find below all the necessary information to understand the Olympic qualification process, which is now in full swing. And it's been in full swing for quite some time, as already stated. So let's see. Starting off, it goes it goes into the you know which divisions are going to be in Tokyo. Uh, goes through all the weight divisions and the mixed teams uh, for for the women's division. It's under fifty seven kilo, under seventy kilo, and and plus seventy kilo for the men. It's under seventy three kilo, under ninety kilo, and plus ninety kilo. Uh, th- those are the, for the mixed team weight divisions. Now, continuing on, it says, For the first time, the same number of men and women will be qualified for a total of 352 competitors. To this, 14 places must be added for the host country, Japan, and 20 tripartite uh, tripartite commission invitation places, which gives a total of 
386 athletes who will participate in the 2020 Tokyo Games. The maximum number of athletes per National Olympic Committee will be seven men and seven women with one with a maximum one athlete per event. The mixed teams will can only be formed from athletes qualified for individual events. Uh, let's see the type of allocation of quota places. The quota place is allocated to the athlete by name. However, as per the IJF World Ranking List direct qualification method, if a National Olympic Committee uh, has more than one male athlete ranked in the top 18 of the World Ranking List of the 25th of May by the 25th of May uh, 2020. And or one or more female athlete ranked in the top 18 of the world ranking lists uh, of May uh, 25th, 2020. The the NOC can decide which of these athletes will receive the quota place. And this, this is why the, um, at least for Japan, the All Japan Judo Championships are such a big deal. And, and you know, why it can be challenging for somebody like Hifumi Abe, who's who's been a... Uh, a two-time gold medal winner in the world championships, he may have to, uh, he, he's not automatically in because you've got Mariyama in his division as well. And that same challenge also applies to, for example, Sarah Asahina, who has been a, a staple in the plus 78 kilo division, but but she did not win the world championships in 2019. That, that went to, to Sone Akira. So, I have to believe the the All Japan Judo Championships this year will be the ultimate deciding factor on on who ultimately gets these spots filled in the Olympics. So continuing on, uh, all athletes must comply with the provisions of the Olympic Charter currently in force, including but not limited to Rule 41 and Rule 43, uh, that's Nationality of Competitors and World Anti-Doping Code and the Olympic Movement Code of the Prevention of Manipulation of Competitions. those are the two rules in question. Only those athletes who comply with the Olympic Charter may participate in the Olympic Games of to- uh, Tokyo 2020. To be eligible to participate in the Olympic Games, all athletes must be born on or before December 31st, 2005. All right, continuing on. The IJF World Ranking List of May 25th, 2020 will be used to allocate the 352 qualification places of the hierarchical order of qualification. Um... For direct qualification, uh, really for the men and the women, um, the 18 highest ranked athletes on the IJF World Ranking List uh, by May 25th, 2020 will be directly qualified with a maximum of one athlete per uh, NOC weight category, which I already covered that. There's also the continental qualification. An additional 100 athletes will be directly qualified as per the IJF World Ranking List. Uh, based on continental representation and according to the following procedure, for each continent, and based on the IJF World Ranking List of uh, 25th of May, the Continental Ranking List will be created listing all athletes from all relevant uh, continent across all weight categories and genders according to the World Ranking Points. Athletes with the highest number of points on the Continental Ranking List will qualify. Maximum of one athlete per NOC can qualify through Continental Qualification across all weight categories and genders. If a if a continent fails to use its full allocation, any re- remaining quota place will be allocated according to the IJF World Ranking List of the 25th by the 25th of May to the highest ranked athlete not yet qualified, irrespective of the continent in the respective gender, respecting the maximum quota of one athlete per NOC per event. The host country is guaranteed 14 quota places, uh, one quota place in each men and win, uh, women's event. 
as well as participation in mixed teams event. So uh, this is, and it goes back to what I was wondering out loud earlier with regards to Teddy Renner. He is currently not ranked in the top 18 uh, in, in the plus 100 kilo division. So either he's got to get to that top 18 uh, before the 25th of May, or he may be able to represent France in the plus 100 kilo division uh, via the continental qualification. I mean, at this point, he's going to be there, right? I mean, they, they, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that, that he's not going to, uh, I, or there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to be there in some way, shape, or form. He's going he's gonna to make it there. I, I, at least I hope so. So anyway, that, that's, the, that's the qualification process for the Olympics for, for this year. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to continue on with the rest of the Paris Grand Slam. I'm going to really try and, and get through this because I also want to cover some of the things that happened in Dusseldorf as well. And please keep in mind, I'm not going to be able to cover every single fantastic story or... or uh, you know, great thing that happened in either of these events, but I still want to cover who won what and and what that may mean, um, if anything. So, continuing on. All right, so in the under 81 kilo division, it was won by Matthias Casse. Now, I may need to backtrack a bit because this is a big win for Casse, especially when Sagi Muki was competing and he ended up uh, earning a 7th place finish. So... Kasse winning gold in this division on this day, it, it, it's a big deal because I was kind of critical uh, at the World Championships when when uh, Saeed Molai had to pull out of the competition because of his uh, disgusting government. Uh, so I thought I had been kind of saying that the division was a little bit tainted or that win was tainted because... We didn't get the matchup we expected to get, which was Sagi Muki versus Saeed Molai. So it ended up going to Kase. Actually, what I mean is that Kase ended up in the final. Excuse me. He ended up in the final against Sagi Muki where he lost. But I had been kind of contending that Kase should not have been there in the first place. Now, granted, look, uh, Saeed Molai was not at the Paris Grand Slam. But I'm not going to take anything anymore away from Matthias Kase. He won gold on this day. And he had a tough road doing so, as they all do. But he won gold. I, I'm not going to take it away. He he earned it. And he defeated Sharof uh, Fedin of Botbolov of Uzbekistan. Uh, the bronze medal winners were... Uh, winners. The bronze medal winners were Antoine Valoy Fortier of Canada and Sotaro Fujiwara of Japan. In the under 90 kilo division, the gold went to uh, Nichols uh, Sheres Dashvili of Spain. We all know he's not from Spain, but come on. He won gold. And in the other in the under hundred kilo division, Peter Polchik of Israel takes gold. And if not and if I'm not mistaken, that's two gold medals in a row for Peter Polchik in the in the under hundred kilo division. He's had uh, quite a month, I must say. And in the plus one hundred kilo division, uh, the gold medal went to Hank Grohl. I think I said that already if I didn't. Um and he defeated uh Kageura who who uh, had defeated uh, Teddy Brunner earlier in the day. Now, something interesting about Hank Grohl, he's he's obviously one of the best in the world, but he's 34 years old. So for all of you out there saying that, ah, Teddy's lost a step, he's at the tail end of his career, he doesn't have a couple, of, he doesn't have but another year left. Hey, Hank Grohl is 40, is, is 40. he's 34 years old. Um, so 
you got somebody that's not only past his prime age-wise, but he's also ranked number six in the world. So it makes it makes me wonder if Teddy can stay healthy. You know, maybe he does uh, make it to the Summer Games in Paris in in four years. It's it's possible. I I, I guess I always kind of envisioned Teddy Renner would be a, a a very slow and broken down athlete. Uh, in in four more years, but maybe not. Maybe, maybe if he's got the right people and the right training regimen, he can make it. Uh, but I I gotta think he's got to get lighter than than what he's currently at in order to have a chance uh, of winning gold in Paris in 2024. But we're so far away from that right now. I shouldn't even be discussing it. I'm just just talking out loud here, like I always do behind a microphone. Moving along. Now I was gonna get into the. The results of the ladies at the Paris Grand Slam. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, I have breaking news. All right. So the All Japan Judo Federation just announced who is and who is not going to be representing uh, Japan in the Olympics. Now, I just got this tweet maybe about uh, just a couple of minutes ago as I was recording this. And I, I, I read it. And I paused and I just decided to do this intro. So according to the tweet and the article written uh, 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 written released by the IJF, your Japanese Olympic team is as follows. In the under 48 uh, kilo division, Tonaki Funa. In the under 52 kilo division, uh, Uta Abe. In the under 57 ki- uh, under 57 kilo division, you got Sukasa Yoshida. Uh, under 63, you got Miku Tashiru. Under 70 kilos, you got uh, Chizuru Arai. On the in the under 78 kilo division, you have Shori Hamada, and in the plus 78 kilo division, you have uh, Akira Sone. Now that one is interesting to me because I know I just said that I wasn't sure earlier, but then I remembered that uh, her spot was secured after her win in the World Championships, and I completely forgot about that. But that was definitely the case. That was, I think, the only sure thing. Uh, going into this this uh, this determination for the All Japan Judo Federation as to who is going to represent uh, Japan in the Olympics, so that was the only sure thing that we knew of. So, in the un- for the for the men's side in the under sixty kilo division, you have uh, Naohisa Takato. The under sixty six kilo division is still up uh, uh, to to be determined because, well, like I said earlier, it's it's a it's a contest between. Between Abe and Maruyama, and and to me, if I was making the choice, I, I would have picked I would have picked Abe, simply because over the past four years he's had more success. And a part of me wonders if there's any politics that go into this. I I, I mean I, I just don't know. So in the under seventy three kilo division, you have Shohei Ono, which again, you know, I'm not surprised at that, but that's really a shame for uh, Soichi Hashimoto. That it really is. I mean, it's boy, it's it's tough. It's got to be really tough in Japan. I mean, that's why I understand why Krista Del Gucci made the switch to represent Team Canada because it's it's tough, and it goes to show how high the the level of of competition is for, in Japan to make these spots. So, in the under eighty one kilo division, you have uh, Takanori Nagase. In the under ninety kilo division, you have uh, Shochiro Mukai in the under 100 kilo division, you have Aaron Wolf. And in the plus 100 kilo division, you have Hisayoshi Hawasawa, which is also a little bit of a surprise for me. 
I guess I thought that maybe uh, Kagura's defeat of Teddy Renner in in the, at the Paris Grand Slam might have tipped the scales in his favor a little bit, or maybe at the very least, wait until the uh, the decision, uh, wait until the All Japan Judo Feder- uh, Judo Championships. I thought maybe they might have waited until then to make that decision, just like they're going to do for Maruyama and and Hifumi Abe, but uh, I guess not. Now, it's my understanding from a press conference earlier this morning, or, or probably in, in in Japan, it's it's later in the afternoon, but uh, Kosei Inui was, is a representative for the All Japan Judo Federation, and, and during a press conference, he stated, and this is from a translation, so bear with me, uh, the linguistics and everything. The only thing that comes to mind right now is the players who fought all over and lost at the last minute. Um, and he's specifically talking about uh, Nagayama, Ebinuma, uh, Hashimoto, Fujiwaja, Fujiwara, uh, uh, Kageura, Haga, uh, Ida. And so I guess Inui was crying at the press conference when going over the list of people that didn't make it. I got to believe it's really tough. I don't know if... I don't know who ultimately makes those decisions, if it's a committee. I really don't know how they make those decisions. But, again, it's got to be so tough, especially when you have... You know, I'll, I'll just call it the A team and the B team. Now, anybody that didn't make it that's still on the Japanese national team is is uh, part of the B team. And I tell you, the B team, any one of them could probably win gold at the Olympics in any division at any given time. So, it just... The level of skill and and fighting ability of the Japanese national team is just extraordinary. And it makes me wonder for some of the younger people if whether or not they'll consider making a switch to represent another country just so they can have a chance to compete at the Olympics. I I don't know. That's that's way too early to to even speculate. But it wouldn't surprise me if one or two ended up doing just that, doing exactly what Krista Deguchi did. So there you have it, your Japanese uh, Judo Olympic team. All Japan Judo Federation made that announcement today. So moving along to the women's division of the Paris Grand Slam. And in the under 48 kilo division, Daria Bilu did uh, uh, one gold, defeating Wakanda Koga. Uh, Wakanda. Wakana Koga. <laughs> I think it's Wakanda's Black Panther, right? <laughs> Wakanda forever. Oh, goodness gracious. That sounded terrible. All right. So uh, Bilu did one. <laughs> Harris Grand Slam, under 48 kilo division. Koga gets second place. The bronze medal winners go to Munkbat of Mongolia and uh, Melanie Clement of France. Now, I got to say, I, I watched the Biludid match, the final. Gosh, why didn't they call that a pawn? I mean, Koga landed on her head and used her head to block the fall. And I that's how I saw it. Uh, so... She only got a Wazari score, but that was enough for her to win gold. So, in the under 52 kilo division, you have Distria Krasnicki of Kosovo uh, defeating Odette uh, Dufrida of Italy. Now, I don't know why um, Majlinda Kalmendi was not competing in this event, but I did see just a couple of days ago where she got a statue in her honor in uh, her home city of, uh, I believe it's called Peja. Peja, 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 I'm not sure. But she gets a statue. I mean, my goodness. I mean, it goes to show you how popular judo is in in other countries. I mean, 
what fighter gets a statue in his honor? I think the only person, the only, the only statue I've ever seen uh, from a fighter is Rocky, and that was fake. All right, so moving along, uh, the under 57 kilo division was won by Chris Del Gucci of Canada, uh, defeating uh, Durjuren of Mongolia. Hopefully, I got that name right. The under 63 kilo was won by uh, uh, the under 63 kilo division was won by none other than Clarissa Bignenu. She defeated uh, Nami Namek. Nabekura of Japan with a beautiful counter man she she is a force out there she just she's incredible I I would be stunned if she didn't win gold in Tokyo now moving on to the under 70 kilo division which was won by Yoko Ono uh not that Yoko Ono she defeated her teammate from Japan Sage uh Saki uh Nizoi I was about to say of Japan but I just said that and Ono defeated her by executing I, I swear when I say this, one of the finest Ipon Sayanagis I have ever seen in my life. It's a must-see throw. You know, look up Yoko Ono versus uh, Saki Nizoi, of uh, both of Japan, uh, in the Paris Grand Slam final for the under-70 kilo division. you got to see it. It just was a phenomenal throw. It just, just, just stunning. Another hometown hero won the under 78 kilo division. Uh, Madeline Mal- Mal- Malogna of France defeated uh, Fanny Estelle uh, Posvite of France, our uh, teammate. And in the over 78 kilo division, it was won another by a, a hometown favorite. Uh, Romain Dico of France defeated uh, Marina Slutskaya of Belarus. Now, the Paris Grand Slam did not feature. Either Akira Sone or uh, Sarah Asahina or Idalis Ortiz. None of them were there. And whenever those three are not there, the, the, the division loses its luster for me. Not to take anything away from Dico, but I'm, I'm not as familiar with her as I am with, with those other three. All right, so I want to continue on with the Dusseldorf Grand Prix. Now, full disclosure, I'm, uh, I did not watch the Dusseldorf Grand Prix at all because I was painting my house. However, I had my Twitter notifications going like crazy on my phone, so I had to keep, you know, looking, stopping, looking down, seeing what's going on, and and now I'm going to start with the under 52 kilo division, which was won by Uta Abe, which is no surprise for me in that division, and she defeated Armadine Bouchard of France. Now, one of the bronze medals went to went to Korladoi Bishrelt of Mongolia, and the other bronze medal, I feel like I should put a drum roll here. I'm not going to, but Angelica Delgado of Team USA ends up getting the other bronze medal in the under 52 kilo division, defeating Gili Cohen of Israel. Now, Delgado had a really nice Iponse Anagi for Wazari, and then just a few seconds later, she ends up getting Cohen on an Uchigari for uh, Wazari Awaseti Ipon, but I think the Uchigari, had she not scored on the Sayanagi, she might have gotten full Ipon for that one. It was a fantastic throw and a fantastic effort by Angelica. And and I, I know I can say for, I'm sure for many people, we're all very proud of her. And you know what? This is a major medal. You know, meddling in, the, in a Grand Slam is going to get you more points toward Olympic qualification. I mean, she's in, right? I mean, she's got to be. I, mean, I, I know she won't be the only representative from Team USA, but but in terms of what I was talking about earlier, being in the top 18, well, she was she was ranked 16th going into this match, but I got to believe her ranking's got to be bumping up uh, pretty close to 10 after this, right? So, again, huge win for Team USA. I think this is the first Grand Slam medal in, gosh, in quite some time. I, I, don't, I don't really 
Well, since I've been doing this podcast, I can't think of a of a Grand Slam medal that Team USA has won over the past three years or so. So, uh, big win. Congratulations. Now, I mean, in terms of the Olympics, I still think the heavy hitters in this division is Aruta Abe and Majlinda Kelmendi. And I simply don't see uh, Angelica Delgado getting past either of those. And look, I'm not going to sit here and be a homer just because I'm a U.S. American. I'm going to call it how it is. And after seeing this this uh, performance, defeating a quality opponent, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Angelica has a similar day in the Olympics. So moving along, I want to go right to the under 81 kilo division. And I'm going to go through these results quickly throughout all the divisions, but I want to con- continue on with the under 81 kilo division. It was won by Tato uh, Grigalashvili of Georgia, who defeated Kazan Kamozaev, and the bronze medals go to Robin Pasek of Sweden and Frank DeWitt of the Netherlands. The reason why I really want to jump to this division is this is the first time that Saeed Malai competed in an IJF event since the World Championships. And he represented Mongolia. He earned a 7th place finish, which in my view, given the the extraordinary circumstances that he's had to face with this horrible regime in Iran, I, I, I think that's a tremendous finish. It's a, it's, a, it's a great start to the 2020 year. I, I got to think he'll be in the Olympics. I was really hoping that uh, Marius Wieser would have had a Twitter Q&A because I would have asked him about Saeed Molai, and I had another question for him as well. And no, it was not about leg grabs, but I did want to ask about how that's going to be handled with him, uh, how he's going to get into the Olympics because he's got to be there. Because I don't, I don't know if his points transferred. I don't know if the IOC. I, I just don't know. So I, I was going to ask uh, Mr. Wieser that, but he did not end up having a Twitter Q&A. He usually has one during the Paris Grand Slam. And if he did have a Twitter Q&A, I didn't hear about it. So hopefully he didn't, and or hopefully he didn't have one because if he did have one and I missed it, I, I would be very disappointed in myself. So anyway, moving on. The under 60 kilo division was won by Naohisa Takato of Japan. The under 66 kilo division was won by Hifumi Abe of Japan. No surprise there, especially if he's competing. Now, it's definitely no surprise in the under-73 kilo division seeing Shoei Ono's uh, name at the top of the list. He, he won gold, defeating An Chang Grim of South Korea. Let's see, I already covered the under-81. So the under-90 kilo division went to Davlad Bobanov of Uzbekistan. The under-100 kilo division was won by, uh, oh boy, here we go, Mukhamad Karim Kurmramov of Uzbekistan. I think I got that right. He defeated Elmar Gasimov as Azerbaijan of Azerbaijan. And in the plus 100 kilo division, a familiar face I haven't seen in a while, Guram Tushishvili takes gold, defeating Johannes Frey of Germany. There was a couple of other familiar names in the, in the top finishers there. Rafael Silva gets bronze. Roy Meyer gets a fifth place finish. Ming-Jong Kim of South Korea takes in the, the other bronze. So pretty stacked division there. I mean, no, uh, no Teddy Renner, but um, pretty stacked nonetheless. In the under 48 kilo division, it was won by uh, Shireen Bukli of France, who defeated Funan Tonaki of Japan. The uh, the hometown favorite, Katharina Menz of Germany, ended up with a fifth place finish. I already covered the under 52 kilo division, so I'm going to jump to the under 52, 57 kilo division, which was won by Jessica Kim Clayt of Canada, who defeated uh, Sarah Leone Sisik uh, of France. Another hometown favorite, Teresa Stoll, ended up with a fifth place finish. 
In the under 63 kilo division, you had uh, Miko Tashiro of Japan defeating Tina Turstenjak. In the under 70 kilo division, you have Chizuru Arai of Japan defeating uh, Gabriela Willems of Belgium. Uh, Giovanna Sokiamaro of Germany ends up with one of the bronze medals, uh, and Margot Pinot of France ends up with the other bronze medal. In the under 78 kilo division, you have Shori Hamada of Japan defeating Maria Aguilar of Brazil. Uh, Anna Maria Wagner of Germany ended up with one of the bronze medals, and Fanny Estelle Posvite of France ended up with the other bronze medal. Another hometown favorite, uh, Louise uh, Malzahn of Germany, uh, also earned a uh, seventh place finish here. Now, in the plus 78 kilo division, you had Sarah Asahina uh, defeating uh, Irna Kinzerska of Azerbaijan, Asahina of, of Japan, of course. Idalis Ortiz uh, makes her debut for the 2020 cycle and uh, or year, and and she ends up with a bronze medal. Uh, and Hortense Vanessa Mabala Antangana of Cameroon ends up with the other bronze medal. See, I got that name right. I nailed that one. So that wraps up the Dusseldorf Grand Prix. I did not see it, so my apologies. Well, I mean, it's not like you guys care, but I wish I did see the event. I just, like I said. Just doing all that damn painting. So looking at the IJF calendar, what's coming up next is the Rabat Grand Prix. That's the new Grand Prix I talked about earlier. It's in Rabat, Morocco. And that's happening between March 6th through 8th. You all should be able to hear this podcast before that Grand Prix. Not that it really matters. And during March 13th through 15th, just a week later, you have the Ekaterinburg Grand Slam. Now I just checked uh, with regards to the Rabat Grand Prix. Uh, Teddy Renner will be competing in that event. At least he's expected to. So I'd be really interested to see how Teddy bounces back from his loss in front of his hometown. Not that I think it's that big of a deal. And also looking ahead, it appears that Angelica Delgado will be competing at the Rabat Grand Prix as well. She's currently uh, the fourth seed in the under 52 kilo division. So we'll see how that plays out. I'd be very interested to, to watch that. I hope I can watch it unless I'm still doing housework, which I'm sure I will be. Well, you know, I just got to say, I just realized that Angelica Delgado, I, I just remembered she's going to be at the New York Open as well, which I will see, uh, like I said before, in person. She's had a heck of a busy couple of months. I mean, you got Paris and then he cat, not me, Kattenberg, Dusseldorf, and then uh, Rabat. And, uh, I mean, it's a lot of traveling for her. Hopefully she's, she's well-funded and well-compensated because that's a lot of money out of her pocket if she isn't. All right, so I need to start wrapping things up. But before I do, I have a USA Judo-specific thing that I wanted to cover. So all of my peeps out in the UK or Australia or Germany or Canada or I don't know, anywhere but the United States, you want to log off or fast forward to the after party, which I am still having, feel free to go right ahead. So this is something I probably should have covered in my last podcast, but I was not made aware of it because, well, the judo organizations in the United States really do not do a very good job with social media. I'm sorry to say, but they don't. So about a month ago, um, the CEO of USA Judo, Mr. Keith Bryant, wrote a letter to USA Judo members. Now, if you didn't get this letter in the mail, I'm not surprised. And I mean, why would you? I mean, (laughs) that's a lot of cost for postage I wouldn't expect them to send a letter but at least maybe a a tweet because you know what I the, the USA Judo account is one of the few accounts that I have an alert for so anytime anything is posted by USA Judo's Twitter account 
I get it, and I'm aware of it. So I didn't see any notification of this letter to USA Judo members. So, like, if you don't let people know that you wrote a letter, then why are you even writing this? I don't know. That That's just me. So I guess I got to do the Lord's work here and read this to all of you who might be interested. So I'm not going to read this verbatim because it's quite long, but I'm going to go over some of the highlights. Uh, let's see. Happy New Year. Thank you for your continued support. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, two years ago, USA Judo created a very simple three-part strategic plan for USA Judo to grow the sport of Judo, to better promote the sport of Judo, which you could do if you use your Twitter. I digress. Number three, to create infrastructure to support the two initiatives, especially at the local club level. In 2019, we stayed on course with this strategic plan and produced the following key results. Membership increased by 16% over the last three years. Let's see, uh, 28 Group B, that's uh, state members, uh, saw 40% uh, uh, growth over 2018. That's really fantastic. Participation at USA Judo National Events is up 50% over the last three years. Created American Judo Development Model with USJA and USJF for athletes, coaches, referees, and club owners. Now, I'll have you know that when I asked somebody at USA Judo about this, they, they kind of chuckled. But they have an alliance that they're proud of, and there, there you go. Now, I covered this one back in November. Uh, Los Angeles Recreation and Parks. Isn't it Parks and Recreation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, partnership launched homegrown program for rec centers teaching 80 youth. That, that's pretty incredible. Actually, you know what? I know a guy that's involved with that, and I know you're listening to this. I'm going to get you on. I'm no longer sick. I can hold down a conversation without coughing in your ear, so we're going to have that conversation very soon. I promise you. No names, though. Not yet, Tayron Lee. Let's see. Video streamed all four 2019 national events online for free for the first time ever. Watched by nearly 11,000 viewers. Yeah, I would like to see proof of that because you know what? How can 11,000 viewers watch an event that you didn't advertise for? Now, look, I'm not trying to get on USA Judo's case. I'm really not. Just send the tweet once a week. That'd be kind of nice. Let us know what's going on. All right. USA Judo Hall of Fame was reinstated. I didn't know it was... uh. Uh, disbanded inducted nine individuals during senior nationals weekend in vegas all right let's see uh, continuing on in 2020 we'll continue to execute the strategy of growing promoting and building infrastructure uh let's see our goal is to provide best-in-class customer service to an individual club and group members judo only grow through strengthening and supporting the efforts of the local clubs and dojos i agree as such, our vision for the future will be to invest in tools and resources that support clubs, dojos, and event organizers. Much of this will be done through digital services such as improved membership database, video streaming, and mobile phone apps. That would be cool. Also, existing and new USA Judo sponsor partnerships will bring value to the clubs at a local level in the next 3 to 12 months. Our roadmap for deploying services in 2020 includes a new a new fully featured USA Judo database system that will simplify club administration at the local level. Uh, this system will include many exciting new features that will increase a club's ability to use and view club data, simplify payments, reduce paperwork, and communicate with their members. USA Judo will provide website templates and tutorials to simplify clubs' marketing and, and online efforts. That that's really cool. That that really helps. All right, continuing on, USA Judo Annual Club Manual providing organizational and marketing best practices as well as new analytical tools to help develop, no, I'm sorry, to help clubs find the right marketing strategy for their region. 
I wonder who consulted USA Judo on all this. I, I'd like to know that. Let's see. Launch online competition management systems for the local or regional event organizers. So it will be tied to the central membership database, competitor records, and national point roster. Expansion of sponsor and partner programs, including apparel, uniforms, banner signage, revenue generation opportunities, discounts, and more. Now, I got to say, this is a tremendous step in the right direction, in my opinion. All right, so continuing on, keeping with the strategy of growing and promoting the sport through better and new and improved programs and overall infrastructure, added some additional key areas of focus in 2020 will include the following, continued growth in judo and schools, communities program through discounted youth memberships, startup resources, best practices, and support to sustain those programs nationwide. We will strive to eventually connect the dots of participating schools to building local, regional, and national intergalactic trade, blah, blah, blah. All right, let's see. I don't know. To me, I'm not a big fan of the Judo in Schools program. I know everybody wants to have Judo in school, but you know what? Having a program in one or two schools is is, is not good enough. You, you, you really have to integrate with the, really, <laughs> the highest level, the Department of Education, right? And, and, I mean, that's really, if you want Judo in schools, that's the way you got to go. Not, not these one-off programs. That's just my opinion. I'm not trying to poo-poo it, but I think energy and efforts would be better served by getting... Judo programs in existing parks and recreation departments across the country or to continue to support club owners with with valuable information and materials to help them promote their clubs. Let's see, continuing on, building and expanding training programs for police judo to eventually grow nationwide among law enforcement agencies and potentially additional youth programs through through police athletic league and the like. And again, the fellow that I want to bring on at some point soon, I hope. He works with the Police Athletic League, and um, I'm very interested to hear more about that. And another goal for 2020 is to grow to 11,000 individual members, something that has not been done in more than 20 years. Ah, That would be something. That would be pretty cool. So the rest of this open letter uh, goes into what they want to do with a USA Judo app that's a mobile app, which I think would be fantastic. You know, especially an app that helps you, you know, coordinate with hotel bookings and and, uh, you know, when to weigh in, when to register, where to go, that kind of thing. Because you know what? Some of these competitions end up being a cluster you-know-what when you get there. You know, you end up traveling thousands of miles and only to find out nobody really knows what they're doing. I'm not saying it's that way at every tournament, but I know there's been tournaments where it's it's been a big, a really big uh, disorganized mess. So to have everything in the app, I think that would be a good thing. And you know what? Anybody at USA Judo listening to this, do you want me to take a look at that app and test it around? I, I'd be willing to do it free of charge because I am by trade a, uh, a a software QA engineer. I'm a manager, and I've been doing software testing for over 20 years, so I know what the heck I'm doing. So if you want me to take a crack at it, I'd be more than willing to do so. Um, I mean, of course, I can't spend like you know 40 hours a week for a month doing it, but... You know, if you want to put it out there as a beta test and you want me as one of your beta testers, feel free because I'll be a professional about it. All right. I think that's going to put a uh, wrap on this hideous episode. If you want to reach out to me uh, via email to either complain about me or this podcast or want to discuss something uh, judo related, feel free to email me at judochopsuishow at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram at at judoka. My Instagram is awesome. You can also follow me on Twitter at Levita Judoka. 
and I've also got the uh, the Facebook page, the Judo Chop Sui Show Facebook page. You can also find me on Facebook if you are interested in adding me as a friend. And if you want to do that, just just shoot me a message letting me know that you heard, you know, you listen to the podcast, and I'll add you. Because if you don't do that, your request is going to go into Friend Request Purgatory. That's where I I look at it. I see your your request, but I'm going to ignore it because you didn't send me a message. It's that simple. All right, so the after party's coming up after the Gangnam Style credits. Is there anything else I want to cover? I don't think so. Let me see real quick on my notes. No, you know what? I, I've This has gone long enough. I, I got to end this thing. So with that, I hope you all have a great day. I hope you all have a great rest of the week. Train hard. Stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style. The after party starts in 15 minutes. All right, the after party. If you made it this far, you are a diehard because you know what? This podcast ended up being a lot longer than I anticipated it. But I had so much to cover. It's been almost a month since I released my last episode. And it might be another month until I can release another episode because of, of my trip to New York City. And all the stuff going on with uh, with re- rehabbing my home and, and to get it rented out and stuff like that. So if you're here, I appreciate it. You're a diehard. I salute you, sir, ma'am. Whoever you are, whatever you are, thank you very much. So first things first, I need to get this out of the way. As you can hear the alarms, the panic-inducing alarms. The coronavirus is one of the most overblown things in the news today, and I'm tired of it. Nobody's going to be talking about this in two weeks when they all figure out that the coronavirus has been around for a long time. And this isn't impacting anywhere near the amount of people that your regular flu does every single year. Not even close. So I'm a little exhausted about this coronavirus hype. Like, I've got a couple of news apps on my phone that I get alerts from. And seems like three times a day there's some new article coming out about the coronavirus. Like, come on, just get some Lysol. If you're really worried about it, throw on a mask and stay away from people. I mean, we went through this, we've been through this with SARS, we've been through this with the swine flu, now it's coronavirus, so whatever. I, I, I'm over it. Oh yeah, and, and also go ahead and wash your hands while you're at it every time you use the bathroom or, or whatever chance you get, because I guess that's supposed to help things, uh, help people not get the coronavirus. Just wash your hands. I mean, you filthy animals should be doing that anyway. Alright, so I'm done with the coronavirus. I mean, even my job, they put up they put up uh, messages all over the walls and all over the doors saying, wash your hands, coronavirus, this and that. Even USA Judo's website has a thing on the coronavirus. I mean, come on. I mean, anyway, moving along. What have I watched on Netflix? So I really, I, I saw this really interesting uh, short documentary series called The Pharmacist. And it was a, just a really intriguing story about um, how this pharmacist, he, he lost his son. Uh, he, his son was murdered over drugs and this and that and it turned out that uh in in his community 
uh, was being ravaged by OxyContin abuse, and, and he was getting a ton of prescriptions uh, re- requesting that uh, the pharmacist fill these OxyContin prescriptions, and it was it, the documentary was about his his stance and his battle against uh, opioid abuse. It was a really interesting documentary. I I, I highly recommend you watch it. Um, I think I think Netflix does a great job with documentaries. Now, speaking about drugs, Narcos season four, or actually it's season two of the Narcos Mexico. Um, so if you if you guys are not familiar with Narcos, it's it's a show about uh, drug dealers from different countries. You know, like uh, they covered Pablo Escobar, they covered the Cali cartel, um, and this season of Narcos kind of covered how some of these Mexican cartels came to be, and it, it takes place about thirty years ago. They're all based on true stories and, and and true people, and and Narcos just does a fantastic job with their casting because it's it's really fascinating to see you know who they cast as the actors and, and to see how these uh the these drug cartel folks really look like in real life like uh felix gallardo the guy who played well the guy that played felix gallardo on narcos he he looked like a like a hollywood version of the real guy but the details and and just the the, the stories behind um you know the DEA's fight with 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 the different cartels in in Colombia and and in Mexico. It's just it's just a great series if you haven't watched it. You can't for those of you that don't like subtitles, you're just going to have to deal with it if you want to watch an excellent show. It's highly worth it. And like I just said, I just finished up season 4 and it it, it was just brilliant, just brilliant writing, just brilliant acting. And as far as I'm concerned, it's one of the best shows on Netflix. Now Continuing on a drug show theme, Better Call Saul just just came started their season five, and man, I don't know what it is about this show, but what started off to be just a spinoff of my favorite show of all time, Breaking Bad, it has become a thing of its own, and boy, especially last year, last season, and and this current season, the two episodes that I've watched so far. In some ways, Better Call Saul, this is going to sound crazy, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's true. In some ways, Better Call Saul eclipses Breaking Bad. And you know, this universe that Vince Gilligan has created is is just, just the way that he films it, the way that the actors portray these characters and everything. It, I'm not trying to sound like some some expert critic or whatever the case may be. It's just these, it's just the little things that they, that they do in this show. It's just um, just really phenomenal. And I, I can't remember if I've said it before. I know I just said it, but I mean before this episode. Breaking Bad is my favorite television show of all time. I think I think it was perfect from start to finish. Now, I saw El Camino last year when it got released. And I don't know. I that, It was good, but it, I felt when I watched El Camino, which was the Breaking Bad movie on Netflix... It was a story that didn't need to be told. I, I was okay with the end of Breaking Bad. Spoiler alert, you know. The end of Breaking Bad when Jesse is driving away after after Walt is, is dying there of a gunshot wound. And I would have been okay with that ending. But they decided to do El Camino. Which it just kind of felt like an extended episode of Breaking Bad. It was good. It was, you know, but it wasn't... Um, I didn't get that same Breaking Bad feel. I, I just... I didn't need... 
I didn't need to see Jesse Pinkman one more time. I, I, I didn't need that. But Better Call Saul, the only drawback to Better Call Saul, and it makes sense, is that everybody, like a lot of the, the, the characters from Breaking Bad, they're playing younger versions of themselves in that universe, but they all look older. You know, you got the characters, you know, Mike Ehrmantraut, Gus Fring, you know, Saul Goodman, Huel. You, you know, a lot of these characters, they, they all look older and they're trying to play like, you know, characters that are supposed to be years before the events of Breaking Bad ever happen. But if you can suspend your disbelief and, and, and just watch that show with with an open mind, it, it's phenomenal. If you haven't watched it, I that's just another one that's just, just been fantastic. All right, let's see what else. Um, oh, yeah, um, Ray Donovan is going to be back for a, an eighth season. Now, they had announced that they were going to cancel this show, which I was really pissed off when I heard that because the way they ended uh, the final episode of season seven, it really looked like they were going to make another season. I mean, they, they had to at least you know finish some of these storylines, but then... Then, like a couple of weeks after that, uh, Leif Schreiber, who's who plays the the main character Ray Donovan, he announces on his Instagram, pretty much saying, you know, the the show's been canceled. So there was really an outpouring on social media, really blasting Showtime for canceling the series. And again, then maybe about a week or two later, Leif Schreiber says that uh, there's going to be a season eight. So I, that was the right thing to do. I mean, most shows on Showtime sucks. A- a- anyway, it's the uh, a- HBO has the premiere episodes. I mean, I- I'm well. Ray Donovan obviously didn't suck in Homeland. I only watched a couple of seasons, but that did not suck. But most of the other stuff that they put out there really sucks. But um, well, at least at least compared to what HBO does, so Showtime made the right decision here. I really have no idea why they would bother to cancel that show. After the way that it ended, but but uh, it's coming back. I'm really excited about that. All right, let's see what else. Um, oh, I had my first beach day of the year uh, just a couple of weeks ago. I went to Siesta Key down here in Florida, which at this point, Florida is one of the few places one can go to enjoy the beach and with uh, you know reasonable temperatures and you know sit out there with your shirt off and that kind of thing. Yeah, you you could go to the beach up in you know, let's say Hampton Beach or Jones Beach up in, you know, New York and or, or New New Hampshire, but going to the beach when it's uh, 20 degrees out and the water's 50, uh, it's not quite the same experience when you go to the beach down here in the middle of February and it's 85 degrees and the water's about 70 degrees. So had a nice, really, really nice beach day at, uh, at Siesta Key, which unfortunately for me has been rated the number one beach in the United States, which I hate it when TripAdvisor does stuff like that. I, I wish they would just name Clearwater Beach number one. That way all the tourists can go there and leave Siesta Key alone to me. So, you know, for me in the Tampa Bay area, where, where I live, there's tons of beaches on the Gulf Coast, you know, ranging for hundreds of miles. But for me, I've settled on Siesta Key and I've got... Uh, you know, I've got my own spot that I like to go to. There's usually not a lot of people. Most people that go to Siesta Key, they go to the main beach area where you can get parking and, and they've got bathrooms and things like that. But I've I've got my little, it's not not quite so hidden, but I've got my little space uh, and I'm not going to tell anybody where it is. But there's a public access, a specific one that I use and there's usually not a lot of people. 
And yeah, I, I must agree with TripAdvisor. For, of, of all the beaches that I've been to in this country, <laughs> Siesta Key is the best one that I've been at. I just wish they would keep their mouth shut and, and that way uh, the streets won't get as crowded as they already are. Or they won't even get more crowded. That's what I'm trying to say. So it was, it was just a beautiful day. I, 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 I know I fell asleep on the beach and I didn't get sunburned, thankfully, but, but it was just nice hearing the you know, the, the water in the Gulf of Mexico just hitting up on the beach. You know, just that the sounds of the beach is just enough to put me asleep for hours. Anyway, I think that's it for Oh no, no, no. There's one more thing I wanted to talk about. The XFL. Have have you guys checked it out for you football fans out there? And I'm talking about uh gridiron football. It's uh it's not a bad thing. I I uh I've been enjoying the heck out of it for, for, of the games that I've watched. It's not, it, you know, obviously it's not NFL quality football, but, um, you know, it's certainly the skill level and, and athleticism. It's better than what you typically see in college. Now, I I hate it when people just bash the XFL because it's not the NFL, but they're the same people. The same people that bash the XFL, <laughs> they, they're diehard college football fans. And it's so stupid because... You know, for a lot of the powerhouse schools in college, they may have one or two players that are good enough to even play in the NFL, and then maybe about you know four or five players that are good enough to play in the XFL. Apart from that, like most of the players are not good enough to play professional football anywhere. They're just college kids. So, for <laughs> for those of you who watch college football and then bash the XFL because it's not they're not talented enough. I mean, are you kidding me? So yeah, I really like the rule changes. I love that they took away the uh, the extra point kick after a touchdown, and and instead you can go for one or two or three. I really love that. I really love what they did with the kickoffs, and I, I really just like the overall fan interaction of of uh, watching the game. They could, they could stand to do a better job in some circumstances, but but overall it's 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 enjoyable, and and it's great to have something. For that in between, from the Super Bowl to the NFL draft, that's the XFL season's gonna last ten weeks, and it'll fill that that gap. So anyway, now I'm done. <laughs>